Okay, people, this is a new Just for Sport pod. My guest is Dylan Heinbrock. He produces commercials, and some of them you might know. He's worked on the Dodge domestic, not domesticated spots with Vin Diesel and the Fast and Furious crew, and the Don't Mess with Sasquatch Jack Link's campaign. He also got to witness the greatness that is Michael Bay at work. He's a movie buff, a fan of the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 and loves fantasy sports. We talk about all that and the last dance. Oh, and I share my own story about Michael Jordan playing baseball. For the Props Network, this is Just for Sport in 3, 2, 1. All right, so I know we go way back to our University of Pittsburgh days, and we've had so many conversations about movies, uh, our life in college, sports, and obviously this is Just for Sports, so I'm going to start with sports. You got your Jets hat on as we are doing this pod. Um, what are you missing the most in sports now that we're stuck inside with uh, this coronavirus? Well, I mean, luckily for me, my favorite sport is football and the New York Jets. So luckily that hasn't been uh, slowed down too much. The worst part about it was I didn't get all the very saucy rumors about all the people that they were interviewing and going to pick up and trade for since it's all just um, – you know, through, through the internet these days. But uh, the biggest thing I guess I'm missing is not being able to go to an NBA game. You know, my friends and I try to go to a couple Spurs games every year down in San Antonio, which is always pretty fun. But yeah. we didn't get to any before coronavirus happened, so um, we didn't get to go to any of those. Uh, luckily, the Jets are terrible and consistently have lots of rumors and are doing silly things like attempting to trade Jamal Adams. So I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get plenty of juice one way or the other. So that, that's the nice thing about it. But, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. That and Daily Fantasy, getting roped into, you know, losing money to my friend through baseball. That's a, <laughs> that's a fun. And the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> my knowledge is not nearly as deep as it is with football. So, yeah. you know, they always get me back when it's not football season. <laughs> oh, did you like the draft? I mean, that first virtual draft and watching all the draft picks in their homes with family and friends, girlfriends and stuff? Yeah, I thought it was a cool way to do it, honestly. I uh, I think it would, being able to have cameras in so many people's homes, I think you got a little bit more of an authentic, you know, look at everything between seeing their homes and their reactions. Um, I, I thought I also it was pretty funny. Oh, what is his name? The guy, the, the Henry Rux. When Henry Rux got drafted, he put on that Old Spice uh, yeah. robe. I don't know why that <laughs> made me laugh so hard. Or just seeing Mackay Becton's dad just like in full dad mode. That man is, Mackay Becton's dad is bigger than a house. So yeah. it's like, that guy could be playing right tackle for the kids. <laughs> uh, so I was pretty, I, you know, I, li- I liked that aspect of it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it moved at a pretty good pace too after you know after the first handful of picks i mean they got to stop doing that whole thing where they got to let the clock go all the way down for the first pick everyone knew joe burrow was going anyway right the inevitable right it's just you know it's just let it go in 30 seconds everybody knows just talk about the kid Let's yeah just keep going you know it was pretty much chalk at the beginning of it which was interesting but i, I like the way that they did it i'd actually kind of preferred it than you know than the other way plus i like the coverage seeing the espn and the and and the uh, NFL TV people together. I mean, the NFL TV, uh, the NFL network people are definitely better, I think, than the ESPN, you know, the ESPN analysts as a whole. But seeing them mm-hmm. all working together, I thought that was also an interesting thing because there doesn't really need two separate networks covering the exact same thing the exact same way. But, yeah. Um, I like the broadcast. I thought it was good. Uh, let's stick with the Jets. What are your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell's first season? I know you were excited <laughs> when they signed them. <laughs> I was thrilled when they signed him. I didn't expect, honestly, 
expect the offensive line to be the actual worst offensive line in the NFL this year. <laughs> uh, I think it, by the end of the season, they had started something like 28 different combinations yeah. of offensive linemen, which is just absolutely absurd. Uh, you can't. I mean, look. I think if they had a better offensive line, I think he probably would have had a better season overall. I think he was probably hurt. I think that Adam Gase also isn't necessarily the greatest at utilizing the talents uh, at his disposal. I mean, at witness as witnessed by some of the players that he had in Miami, just kind of going mm-hmm. off after he's no longer the coach or they traded him. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was an afterthought. Suddenly, he's a twenty million dollar quarterback. Yeah. Um, so that's my biggest concern with him as a as a coach. And I, you know, they just signed Frank Gore, so Le'Veon Bell is inevitably somehow going to wind up getting less carries than Frank Gore, yeah. which is going to be something to watch. Uh, but I mean, like, I was so excited about Le'Veon Bell. I was, <laughs> the whole season was such a disappointment, man. <laughs> when Sam Darnold got mono. Oh my God! Just watching. Okay, I, 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 I almost threw the towel as a fan after watching these quarterbacks get trotted out and get blown up by the offensive line. I just could not believe that. Um, but I think they'll be better this year. So at least I think the offensive line will be better. I like Denzel Mims as a prospect. I think Perriman. We'll see what he does. Mm-hmm. I think the defense is going to be top ten again, and Chris Herndon's coming back. So that would be great, but I'm still very scheduled. It's a hard, very hard schedule. Uh, I think the first four weeks of the season, they're going to play something like the 49ers, the Seahawks, yeah. the Rams, and uh, another West Coast team. So oh, I, they'll, they'll just get worked, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm excited for it one way or the other. Are you happy that uh, you're, you're probably your favorite quarterback of all time has to be Tom Brady is no longer with the Patriots, so... <laughs> Right? I'm thrilled. I can't wait. I mean, it'll be interesting this year. At least maybe, you know, somebody will win the division and it won't be decided in week six of the season. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think the, I actually think the division is going to be pretty interesting this year because, I mean, the Patriots are the Patriots. You can't count them out. Even if Jared Stone's not great, I'm sure that they'll still somehow wind up, find a way to win 10 games. Mm-hmm. The Bills, you know, the Bills are a good team. They've got a great defense. They're, they're building up talent around, uh, around, oh God, around their uh, quarterback. Hughes knows he's not very good, but we'll see what happens. If he can put it together, you know, with digs and whatnot there, Josh Allen could, uh, I don't know, he, he's somebody to watch. He's, he's, he can't throw the ball, but we'll see what, what happens with that. And then the Dolphins, they've got a great quarter. Or they've got a good coach. At least he was good the first year. They're going to bring back Fitzpatrick. I mean, I think they, they put a lot of money into the free agency. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. I think overall it could be a pretty decent division, but yeah. I'm sure the Patriots will win it again. So what are you watching now without sports and – you know, there's so many, I don't know, there's so many options as far as movies and TV shows, not as much as sports are concerned, but what are you watching? Uh, right now, we're watching the Harry Potter movies. Three, it started with the three, because three is the best one, and the first two are just chi- child's play, so I can't watch Wow, but, okay. <laughs> but uh, Alfonso Cuaron is a, ma- is a masterful director, so watching the, the one that he did, Prisoner of Azkaban, and yeah. just going from there has been pretty nice. Yeah. Um, just watched the season's uh, Better Call Saul. We just watched, um, uh, what was it, on Apple TV Plus? Uh, the Morning Show. Morning Show was pretty good. Oh, really? You liked that? I thought it was pretty decent. Okay. Uh, it had a really great cast. Um, I you know, I thought Jennifer Aniston was quite good in it. Yeah. So, um, oh, was it? was it Reese Witherspoon. She was great. She was really good, too. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, so, I enjoyed that. Uh, I think my favorite thing we watched recently though was old seventies movie Clute on the Criterion Channel, which is uh, if you haven't seen that, I'd highly recommend it. The cinematography is something else in that movie. Okay, uh, it's just like a mystery movie with a detective just trying to find a missing person, 
Um, and the only lead he has is a prostitute. It's a great movie. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. you didn't say Clue, right? No, Clute. Clute. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I was like, Clue is a great movie. I was like, come on, Dylan. I was like, that didn't sound right. Okay, okay. Did you have, I've never actually seen that one. <laughs> have you been watching The Last Dance? I have been watching The Last Dance. The editing is driving me crazy. Why? Take the editing. Because they're horrible at telling you, like, the timeline. Yeah. It's like, okay, I mean, like, I know enough about the Bulls to understand what was going on so I can follow it, obviously. Yeah. Anyone who's not watching it, like, I've been watching it with my girlfriend, and she's just like, wait, what, what, this is the same year, the guy is going to Las Vegas, and then he's, I don't, like, but, and then he's on the piss, why is he on the other team? I don't get this. Like, yeah. You know? And they do a terrible job of lining up the editing within the show. I mean, like, if the show was just, like, just nothing but Michael Jordan highlights set to Prince, I think that would be pretty fantastic. I'd just watch that. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the thing that's just, like, really killing me. I also wish that Michael Jordan was just a little bit more drunk throughout the entire thing, because <laughs> that's when he just gets the sauciest. So, it's like... <laughs> It's it's pretty funny to me watching the show because you can just watch the glass go up and down, you know, the tequila or whatever he's drinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's always just, he's just he comes closest to saying those all color things when that glass is just a little bit almost <laughs> gone. So I wish there was a little bit more of that. But I just think the editing is just they did such a bad job of, of the timelines with that, just being able to tell. But aside yeah. from that, I think it's you know super entertaining. It's an interesting show. Also, I think that they kind of. They laid the blame on Krauss for absolutely everything, and they kind of give Jerry Reinsdorf a pass, which I think is a little messed up, considering the fact he's the rich man who pays everybody. Yeah. He really wanted to pay everybody. Yeah. He could have, but he clearly just didn't want to, and then they just kind of, since Krauss is dead, they just, you know, laid it on, he can't defend himself. You know, Reinsdorf was on the show, just, you know, talking about Scotty Pippen, and he signed a contract that told him it was a bad contract. Did he, and right. If, he, you actually cared, if you actually cared about the player, wanted to keep him together, you know, you could have given him a new contract. Exactly, you know? exactly. I just don't even so, understand that soundbite. Like, why even why even say that when you know yeah. and you're the owner? You could have easily just given him a new contract. Easily give him a new contract. He didn't want to. Oh, my word is, you know, the guy signed a contract. Word's important to me. But, yeah. I mean, like, that team should have won 10 championships. So, yeah. Know, aside from Michael Jordan having his year off to play baseball, it's like, yeah. why they, they did not have to break them up. They, they just did it because he didn't want to pay anybody. Yeah. It's like, imagine it's like, Imagine if if if, the, if Robert Kraft had done that with the Patriots, mm-hmm. you know, just decided I'm not going to pay Tom Brady anymore and I'm not going to pay Bill Belichick anymore. Like, yeah. why, why the hell would you ever do that? Right. How much money are you making off of all this stuff? Like, yeah. That's the craziest thing to me. But I don't know. He won six championships and just decided, yeah, this isn't worth my money anymore, I guess. Whatever. It's going to be very interesting to see this upcoming episode that is supposed to be covering retirement, why he did or didn't retire, because I don't necessarily yeah. buy the story of you retired. No, you're the ultimate competitor. Winning three championships still is not greater than the Celtics, who won eight of 11, and I think seven in a row, right? So, like, right. no, if you really were the ultimate competitor, that's what you should have been going after. So oh, exactly. I'm, I mean, the guy, the man sitting there, it's like he's in, he's in Barcelona for the Olympics, and he's there's a Reebok, there's a Reebok logo on his jacket, and he's like, oh, he's so competitive, he's not even going to show the Reebok logo, right? He's going to cover it up with the Amer- the, of the American flag because he's got the Nike contract. It's like he's just like that petty in so many ways, and it's just like, oh yeah, I was just kind of over it. He weren't. So the best thing about this upcoming episode of The Last Dance is I mentioned already about why he retired. But for me, um, before I really 
realize until watching this documentary, what I witnessed, I got to see Michael Jordan play baseball. I went to Greenville, South Carolina to, to watch them play the Birmingham Barons. And I watched Michael Jordan play baseball. And I swear to this day, there was a hit to, I'm going to just say center field just because it was so long ago. But I swore he did the jump man pose to catch the ball. And it was just like, wow, I, I'm watching Michael Jordan play baseball. And so I'm so looking forward to seeing this episode just to kind of relive it. And I'm actually hoping somehow that game ends up being a part of this. Do you remember him playing baseball? I remember it a little bit. I mean, my main takeaway from all of that, honestly, my main memory remember of him playing baseball is uh, probably from Space Jam. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I always appreciated the fact that that's how they start the game. Uh, they start the movie with him playing baseball and living in a very modest house. Yeah, very modest. Carolina, it's just amazing. So the guy lives. In, the, the guy lives in like a colonial two-story house. It's like, okay, the greatest basketball player in the world lives in this tiny little, you know, middle like really nice house for for middle-class family. Give me a break. Um, but yeah, no, I just remember. I just remember the the, the how how surprising it was and just. People kind of ridiculing him for for playing baseball. Oh, he's not as good. I mean, I don't. I don't remember his skills. I don't really remember anything. I don't know. People now swear up and down that he would have made the majors at some point. But we forgot to Tim Tebow's playing baseball, and people swear he's going to make the majors at some point too. Yeah, he was like thirty-two years old. So. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see for sure. What it's made me do though is I really want to see a straight documentary about Charles Barkley. That's yes, yes. <laughs> Charles Barkley and Dennis Rod. I'd like to see just like those two, just inch more dark, straight documentaries about this. Okay, okay. So actually, then that means you didn't see the one uh, about um, Dennis Rodman. By oh, you saw the Todd, the one by Todd. Todd, Todd. Cup Cup. I'm forgetting his name. The Thirty for Thirty. Oh no, I didn't see that. I didn't know that there was a Thirty. Yeah, for 30. yeah. So there's a Thirty for Thirty on Dennis Rodman. That's that I really enjoyed. Okay, um, I'll have to check that. Yeah, out. yeah. I had no idea about that. I would, I would like to watch that. Um, yeah, that or and one about Charles Barkley. Yeah, but Charles Barkley, I know, I know. Uh, and, you know, and and now with every now, there's so many stories out daily. Now Charles Barkley is like, I don't know about my friendship with Jordan and Zeke, and <laughs> all of this stuff is like, man, all the drama all of a sudden is coming out now, and it's like this. Maybe this is why Jordan didn't want the doc for so long. <laughs> Cause it's just it's just insane, but I'm I'm glad you're watching. It's gonna be fun. We got like three three more episodes, three more Sundays left before it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I mean it's like a fun fun sports thing to look forward to on the weekends. You know, like yeah. I said, I just wish the editing was just a little bit better. But yeah. Aside from that, you know, it's a fun sports thing. It gives me a fix, just like the uh, NFL draft gave me a short fix too. Yeah, it did. Just a short one, right? Yeah, just as a small little fix. Yeah, and then before yeah. that was Tom Brady. Then before that, it was yeah. like, wait, we're dealing with coronavirus. What is this? We're shutting down yeah. the NBA. No way. That's it's crazy. Yeah. Now, now I'm just gonna sit around and wait, watch Twitter for Logan Ryan deciding with the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that happens. Hopefully. That. <laughs> uh, before we get to your full career. You mentioned uh, in in your bio to me that you pitched a couple of Super Bowl campaigns. Can you tell yes. me some backstory about that? What happened and, and maybe also how they didn't come to fruition? And the Super Bowl is a kind of weird thing. I mean, the client, the 
the amount of money it costs to run a Super Bowl campaign is just absolutely astronomical because there's there's the media budget that goes into it. I, I think it's like 30 seconds or something like $5 million now. Mm-hmm. You know, So if you have a 60-second commercial, it's $10 million by itself. And then a lot of times these brands, they, they because they're spending so much money, they decide to go crazy with you know celebrities or um, you know visual effects-heavy spots or whatever. I think the stuff that we were doing, We've had a couple of projects that have come very, very close. Basically, our client being on the, you know, we've shot some of them mm-hmm. uh, and, and edited them and had them finished and ready to run during the Super Bowl. But we just had the uh, unlucky, you know, not, uh, unlucky, unluck of the draw in which our client just decided for one reason or another not to run the spots. And that's happened a couple of times with yeah. a couple of different clients in my career. We were going to shoot, I was, this year we had one that I was literally going I was literally getting ready to go to Los Angeles to shoot it one week before the Super Bowl, before the plug up What? So, yeah. Whoa. Because um, the thing is, like, I always wondered, you can still run the commercial, like, you know, the half hour before the Super Bowl or the half hour after. You still are pretty much going to get the same eyeballs, right? Yeah. I mean, and you know. Dodge as a brand has done one of those recently in the yeah. last couple of years. I didn't work on the spot, but that was mm-hmm. also another one where that was the last second where it was like, okay, we're going to run this in the pregame during the Super Bowl. And they were finishing it two days before the game. I remember wow. like having a mad dash to finish it because the client basically very late in the game decided that, that they would run, you know, they'd run the spot. You know, yeah. It was great for everybody. It got on there. Everybody was happy. It was a cool spot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where there's just a lot that goes into it, you know, money, politics, all sorts of stuff. So it's always kind of a, a, a crapshoot. I know I've heard stories from other people and, you know, advertising podcasts and things of that nature where people have talked about how they had a spot they were sore was going to happen. Uh, they get their hopes up and then the same thing, you know, kind of goes away for one reason or another. But, you know, it's I understand the politics of it. It's a lot of money that goes into all that yeah. stuff. So, you know, there's always the hope that it'll happen one of these days. Yeah. So maybe this will be there, assuming the football season happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see if it happens. Uh, it was yeah. good to talk to Jim Jenkins about doing the Jeep Groundhog Day spot with Bill Murray, and they basically had to quickly turn that around before the Super Bowl, too. Um, yeah. So hopefully someday you'll get a spot at the Super Bowl. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, one of these days. Yeah, yeah. one of these days. <laughs> so you, you, you're – Career as it stands, your senior content producer for GSDNM. What is it like for you to work on a campaign? You know, not to take us in the weeds, but a, a a short form of going from a pitch to seeing a spot on television. What does it take as you're working uh, in, in in making commercials? Sure. I mean, so basically, what happens is on the creative teams, uh, usually art director to copywriter you know i work with a pretty small team usually it's just two creatives sometimes it's a few more like some of the younger ones maybe write a uh, write a script and sell it through to the client and they kind of you know learn how to go through the entire process but essentially when we have something that the client's interested in we will give it to the client client will ask us to budget it out and i'll take it and i'll do a breakdown and i will budget it then I'll give it to the client, and then they will tell me what their actual budget is. And so I'm always a little bit off from what they've got. Um, <laughs> and then I'll go from there. And then essentially what will happen is I'll take it, I'll take the script, and I will take my budget, and I will go to um, director reps who represent production companies and directors um, and uh, to production companies themselves, and I'll give them the scripts. And I will say, hey, 
do you have a couple directors that would be interested in doing this? Or if I have one or two in mind that I think would be really good, I'll ask directly if, you know, hey, is this person available? I'll give them my calendar, say, these are the time frames we're looking at shooting. This is when we're going to start pre-production. Um, and then uh, I'll do that. Then I'll go and I'll find an editor the same way, depending upon the visual effects, uh, their visual effects needs. I'll, even, I'll do the same thing with visual effects companies. So basically I go, I'll source all the companies, I'll bid out the project. And once, you know, my client size off on a budget, I'll award the project to a director, editor, visual effects company, sound company, um, all the people that do all of the direct work. And once it happens, I kick it off and we go to pre-production. Mm-hmm. And once we're in pre-production, we work, you know, very closely with the directors uh, to find, you know, find locations to do casting, to do wardrobes. Um, if we're working on a big project that requires set builds, they'll start pre-visiting their ideas for sets and they'll send it to us and we'll go through and, you know, I'll make sure that my creative team and clients and everybody is looking at it and um and the notes are addressed to make it you know exactly how it's supposed to look uh and once then all that'll go up in the shooting and once we shoot we'll go into post-production editing um you know once pictures locked we'll do color and audio visual effects if we need to do visual effects um so basically my entire job is once something is sold i take it from point a to you know point c making sure it gets done mm-hmm. what's the best part of your job um, the people I get to work with, quite honestly, I've been able to work with some, you know, directors that I've admired. I've been able to work with some, you know, really great editors and audio people. Um, it's always fun. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about commercials is that so many people that work in the film industry and work in um, TV, they cross over into commercials because, you know, it's uh, extra paid and it's, uh, you know, it's on a much shorter timeline than a TV show or commercial is, mm-hmm. or a TV show or a movie is. So I've been able to work with some people that I admire from television and from films and work with some editors and stuff that, you know, have fun stories about that type of stuff. But, you know, honestly, it's just the people. We get to work with a lot of really fun people who, you know, outside of advertising, sometimes people have projects that, you know, get to work on together, or, you know, at least talk about or get advice on or whatever. Um, so that's really my, my favorite aspect of the job. And then honestly, some of these things when you get to go on a set and see the type of thing you're doing, you see it in post, what you went and shot, what's, you know, whatever, what you've been helping cut together. It's just like, you know, it's, you know, it can be really cool and really gratifying. Mm-hmm. What's the hardest part? Wrangling everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's, if you've, um, when we were watching the morning show, you know, there's the, 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 the what is his name? The guy, the, the guy from, um, the TV show. Anyway, the guy who's playing the executive producer, his entire show, he's essentially just going around banging his head against the wall because he's the producer and he keeps trying to get people to listen to him and asks him to do things and no one listens to him, especially his, uh, his stars and I was telling my girlfriend it's essentially the same thing with me and my creative team sometimes <laughs> where it's just like you know you know you just got to keep you know hounding them to make sure that everybody's listening to you that's really the hardest thing about it but you know at the end of the day everybody's working to achieve a common goal so everybody winds up you know getting everything gets done in the end yeah um you know so that, that's the thing that sometimes you have to remind yourself but it is uh, it can be a little daunting occasionally what what was it like and because i imagine this is going to be daunting your first big commercial shoot which one which one was it i think the first big one that i was told to go and run with was a actually a commercial for walgreens it was a medicare part d commercial (laughs) Uh, but you know it was a it was it was a fun story uh the whole basically the conceit of the ad was that 
two two old ladies go and they buy a bunch. They go pick up a prescription and then they also buy some sunscreen. And they go to a nude beach. Yeah. And so they go they go to the nude beach. They get naked together and then they they run off onto the onto the beach. It's a slightly racy commercial, I guess. Um, but it's uh, that was the first big one. I guess at that point I'd been working there long enough that since it wasn't. It wasn't a very complicated spot mm-hmm. because you were working. It was just shooting inside of a Walgreens and then at a beach. So yeah. it wasn't like anything that was overly daunting. Um, I think the most the, the first really big daunting project I worked on was I worked on a big documentary, uh, big documentary project in um, Uganda for Walgreens as well. Mm-hmm. That was probably the hardest thing. What made it so hard? The entire conceit of it was that they had a partnership with this uh with uh, a charity called vitamin angels which gave vitamins to children uh, in need all over the world so what we did is we went to uganda with vitamin angels and we made documentary content about children who had been receiving the vitamins mm-hmm. so we went out there and we shot six uh six three-minute documentaries uh with six different children and their families we gave them cameras and taught them how to use it and then they um they filmed stuff and we cut that into cut that into the commercials but at the same time we wound up also making uh another nine 30 second commercials and 100 pieces of social media content mm-hmm. and we shot all of that uh in uganda in uh, i think we were out there for two weeks two we weeks came back yeah we were, we were there for two weeks and then we came back and we had everything cut and finished within uh i think 30 days oh my god so, yeah that was uh the post on that was one of the hardest things that i've ever what size um, crew went out there? I'm sorry. What what size was the crew that went out there? Oh, it was tiny. It was we we had a documentary filmmaker who was a director DP, and then he brought a, a DP as well, and then a producer, and then the director and the DP ran sound. They were both documentary filmmakers. That, you know, they made a couple of docs that have been played at festivals and stuff like that. Um, they're really great guys. It was a really fun project, honestly. So yeah, it was just the three of them. Was our entire was their film crew, and then you know it was us from the ad agency, and our, we had two clients there, and then uh, two or three people from Vitamin Angels, the charity, um, and then uh, we had people on the ground, basically, uh, that you know helped distribute the vitamins, and uh, we all bust our all around Uganda, you know, meeting with families in small villages all over the place, and uh, just yeah, it was uh, it was it, it was it was it was a pretty incredible experience, and you know, stuff that we made was. Uh, I mean, we were all like incredibly happy with the work, uh, the work that came out of it. But uh, yeah, that was probably the first big one that was that was definitely challenging. Yeah, and like, where did you stay? Like, is it your first time in Africa? Was there like a hotel? Yeah, somebody driving you back and forth, all of that. Yeah, we had a hotel. I mean, there was a, we had a hotel on the Nile. It was, you know, it was a really pretty actually. There was um, our hotels backed up against the Nile and wow. out on the river. There was every night there were people that would go out and they go fishing. What they do is they go out in their little boats and they put candles out into the water and these little tiny minnows would or like tiny fish would come up to the water and they'd catch them and then they use them for uh, chicken feed what so we saw that every night which was something very pretty to watch yeah um, we were staying in this town called Jinja which is a, uh, a tourist town there's mm-hmm. a lot of white water rafting that happens there mm-hmm. so uh, and then we would drive basically every day it was you know three four hours to another village somewhere yeah. Different direction from Jinja. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, we had people driving us around. It was like two buses. We had some drivers, um, and uh, they were usually drove you know like safaris around. And cause mm-hmm. in, in Uganda, there's uh there's there you can go see silverback gorillas and stuff. So yeah. usually there's just safaris and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was great. 
What were some of the other places that you traveled to? I know you worked on Fast and Furious. Yeah, um, so when we do all the car stuff, uh, especially when we're doing all the start car stuff with Vin Diesel and the Fast and Furious crew, uh, that stuff we shot mostly in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Um, I think we did one commercial that we shot in Miami. Um, but like, the coolest thing about that, though, is they've got this really great uh, proprietary camera vehicle that they used to shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a... It's a the um, Subaru and they took the bumpers the front and back bumpers off and they took the headlights out and they put mounts where the headlights and the, the taillights are yeah. and they can mount the car or they can mount the camera to the car so it's about six inches off of the ground yeah uh, it's about six inches off the ground and it's on a gimbal that's remote control from inside of the car so they can drive very close and the, you know the, the angles they can get are just super incredible and just seeing the way that these drivers you know of just the camera cars and then the cars themselves and the way that they you know can get so close to each other without even remotely coming close to actually hitting each other yeah that's just something else to watch um but yeah so we did that in miami which is a really great we did one of those in miami which is a great place to shoot car stuff and then uh, most of it in los angeles um i just went to prague i shot a big campaign for jack link's jerky in prague um <clears throat> We shot that one there because uh, we didn't have an exceptional budget, but we needed to build six sets. Um, so the money wow. was farther in yeah. a country like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was that was the one time I worked on like giant set builds, and just being able to see that in action was just something else. We built a couple of miniatures of like a, a Trojan horse mm-hmm. and of like a uh, Viking ship, and so we shot miniatures for the opening, and we VFX some stuff into those, uh, yeah. some people into those. Um, but yeah, we had like a big Viking ship, the interior of a Trojan horse, a uh, giant like Mongolian battlefield, yeah. um, like an office set. It was really, really cool. And just, you know, just seeing the way that they worked on that stuff so quickly. Was how, do you, also. how do you pick Prague? Like, how do you say, oh, yeah, in, in Prague, that's where we'll like we'll stretch our money and get a set built. Right. There's like a book that you look through. No, so essentially I left it up to the production companies. So, mm. uh, you know, we we needed to shoot that project out of the country. So what we what we ended up doing was asking the production companies to um, – actually the production companies just kind of do some research as to where, mm-hmm. you know, where would be the most cost-effective way to do it in order to be able to stretch the budget to be able to do it. So, you know, there was – you know, people looked at Slovenia, yeah. people looked at Prague – People looked at um, Mexico, uh, New Zealand, all over the place. It just so happens that Prague had, you know, Prague was the place that we could go the farthest with the best crew that we could go the farthest with our budget. And most recently, you did the Six Underground uh, with Ryan Reynolds. You shot a commercial for that and then some other content. What was that like? Yeah, so that was a commercial we did with uh, Michael Bay for Alfa Romeo. That was uh, <laughs> that was interesting. I was just being able to be on set with Michael Bay for a day uh, yeah. was such something else. I mean, he, he works the way that he works. He doesn't storyboard anything, and he shoots everything himself. So what he does <laughs> is he just shows up at, at the location with his camera, just tells the car, go this way, and then he stays there, he shoots, okay, now go that way, and he shoots it, and he goes, oh, that'll be cool, and he starts yelling at someone to get the sticks, or, you know, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, just whatever else. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty incredible, honestly. And his entire thing is, you know, there's a lot of crazy stories about Michael Bay, but, you know, his entire thing is trying to make sure everybody just moves as fast as possible so we can get as much as we can in a shoot day. I think uh, we shot in six locations uh, in one day all wow. over Miami when we did that project. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, um, 
you don't really do very often. Uh, but that is, you guess it is entire thing, you know, and then, then we shot another thing the next day in a, um, car dealership where he shot a comedy thing with Michael Bay in a car dealership and just watching him act is, uh, was pretty, it was, it was pretty fun to watch him act. <laughs> I wouldn't think that somebody of his stature would shoot anything anymore, but. Oh, uh, that's, I, I think that he uses it, it's like a badge of honor for him. Yeah. I think that that's kind of his entire, his entire thing is, you know, I, um, I use, you know, it's my camera, it's a proprietary camera, Red made this specifically for me. Yeah, I'm going to go shoot it, uh, you know, because I can. Yeah. So when I say this, I mean, on top of all of it, though, it's just, he doesn't, didn't make a point. I mean, essentially, the DP on the project was more or less a um, AC. But mm. he made a point of getting, like, a young DP that hadn't done anything before to work on the project with him. He gave an editor, like a first-time editor, a chance to do it. It was a national TV campaign. I mean, it was uh, it was pretty impressive the way that he was able to, you know, he was willing to, to do that. Um, just give people a first crack at something. Yeah, but, you know, it's so big and also represents his movie at the same time. Yeah, and that's funny because as as much as I was saying that I remember, um, I haven't for so long being a supervising producer. I didn't shoot that often, and then one time our cinematographer was like, "Hey, you want to shoot a half for me?" I can't remember what she had to work on, but I was like, "Oh yeah, give me that camera!" <laughs> like it's been so long, I've been on the baseline shooting anything that I was really excited. So maybe part of that. Um, what 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 is it like when you then see your content on television? Do you re- recall when you saw your first spot? actually running do you pay attention to that or you've seen it a million times in the editing room and with the client well i think the first time i saw it on tv and it was like impactful in a way it was probably you know just watching nfl football um the first year that we worked with vin diesel they were running our tv spots constantly during all of the games mm-hmm. so it was pretty cool to be able to just watch a football game and just see the spot you know this thing they did you know airing to something people are i mean creating are they paying you know, some people are making potentially commercial, some people aren't. But knowing that there's millions of people watching this and this thing that we made is up on the TV, uh, you know, and, and playing in people's houses with awesome sound and everything, it's it's pretty, it's pretty. It was that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I, and I and I mentioned in the intro, but I I do love the do- Dodge domestic, not domesticated. Like that's, oh man, those are my favorite commercials and just the. I don't know. I love the Detroit and, and the way that they're shot. And I love Vin Diesel's voice. So the way you put them all together is like, there's some of my favorite commercials. Um, do you, oh, yeah. No, those are really fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you like a certain style of commercial that you prefer? Like, because, I mean, you have such a variety. You know, some are softer than others. Like, you, you know, the Walgreens has more, you know, emo to it in, in the... The Dodge ones are more or tough and in. No, not really. I think you know. I I would like to be able to do a little bit more comedy down mm-hmm. the line, just because it's not something that I get a chance to do very often. Um, and I just like comedy. Um, but I mean, like the car stuff that we get to do is just it, it's incredible. I mean, we get to go working with some of the best stunt drivers in the world, and some of the best car directors in the world, and you know, luckily enough on our on our account, our clients like to tell us. Don't just push it. They don't care. I mean, you watch a lot of these car commercials. They won't let you know the clients. You know, a lot of times they won't let the cars get driven more than 20, 30 miles an hour because obviously they don't want to break them. Yeah. Uh, our on, on on Dodge, they they tell us to just go for it. They're fine with it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, push it. They just they want to make sure the cars look fast and aggressive, and that's what we do. We make yeah. sure they look fast and aggressive. Um, and you know, some of these car directors, the way that they shoot stuff and the angles that they can get, and the speed at which they make everything look, it's it it's really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I someday someday I'm I'm gonna come on the set with you. I I got, I got to if you don't mind. Um, oh yeah, for sure. You went to Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, I did in. 2007? 2007, yeah, 2007. That was before I graduated from Pitt, so it was 2007. How did you get that that job? And, you know, you sent me your bio ahead of time, you know, working with Guillermo del Toro. Like, what was – your head must have been spinning. Oh, that was so arbitrary. Essentially, there was a – there was an internship program that I applied through through UC – like UC Northridge, that's where it was. Mm-hmm. It was very random. I found this internship program through University of California, Northridge, and uh, the whole idea was that they set you up with an intern. You go out there to the festival to give you a badge, and they set you up with an internship. So I got out there, and then the people I was supposed to have an internship with, they just didn't show up at the festival. So I, what? you know, and I was, yeah, and so they had us all housed in a big chateau in Cannes, wow. and the kid I was rooming with, he, uh, he was working with the uh, he was working with the Hollywood reporter and i was like you know do you think that they've got any other you know if i go down there i think that they're they're they'll you know let me do some work so it was all unpaid so i go down there with the kid and i just kind of waited around for the uh the, 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 the editor that was down there and um, he, he's like what do you want <laughs> i'm just looking for something to do man you have to pay me i've got a badge <laughs> he looked at my badge and he goes, you have a better badge than literally every one of us. <laughs> and he gave me a camera and we walked down to the uh, we down to the press conference for Zodiac. And so that, that was like the first thing was just filming them doing the press conference for Zodiac, which luckily I had a lot of experience doing from all of our time with the with Pitt, uh, yeah. the TV station. Uh, and it was just kind of funny pointing out to the guy. I was just like, well, you know, if you have an XLR cord, you'd be able to get pretty good audio, but Saudi is going to terrible what do you mean it's like oh, well you're doing it through the onboard mic on the camera like, box right there. they're all plugged into the cameras man they had no idea they never, they, at that point they weren't filming anything and putting anything on uh, putting anything on 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 their their website so uh, yeah that was that was that was a pretty great experience being able to like just go around the festival and shoot stuff yeah and, you know have it go on their website so yeah, Guillermo del Toro, that was like the kid I was working with. It was basically just like a two-person crew of myself and and uh, my, my roommate. When he was basically the camera guy and I was basically the producer. And uh, we got invited to go to a Hispanic press conference um, for a movie del Toro had produced uh, called The Orphanage. And uh, so we went to the movie, we went to the press conference, and we just stood around until they let us talk to him. We kept asking, can we talk to him now? And then we're calling up someone for high reporter. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, can you want to send a reporter down here? We think we're actually going to get an interview with them. And eventually they told us, you guys, if you do it, just just do it yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so at the very end of the day, and they're telling us, like, you're not going to, he's not going to do it. And they were like, and he sees us. And he just called us over. And he's like, you guys want to do an interview? We're like, yeah, okay. Sat there, did the interview. You know, he's really not, quite a nice guy. He was very impressed with the fact that I was from Connecticut. He kept telling me how much he loved the fact that I was a Yankee. 
What? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty great. Yeah, some other woman was like trying to give him a gift bag, and she like she had her dog, and the dog went under my table and he started under my chair, and he started barking like a dog. He started barking. I was like, "What are you doing? Like, you like dogs, huh?" And he goes, "Sure." And then he reaches under my chair and he picks a dog up and he holds it up and he goes, "Sure do." <laughs> I have no idea what to. I have no idea what to how to respond to that. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was like my first interview with anybody. And I was with Gilmore to talk about how I reporter and went back. Like, they put it up on the website, and I was listening to it, and I was like, this is garbage, man. I can't even understand anything I'm saying. But they did. <laughs> what they did. So, <laughs> they did it, so I could say it happened. Uh, but, yeah. That That's... Was, uh, yeah, that was great. It was it was a pretty pretty incredible experience. Yeah, you definitely uh, we're what almost forty minutes in this podcast. I feel like your life has been just amazing with all of the things you've been able to do and places that you've gone. And um, what has it been like to now have to stop down with coronavirus and think about where your life is from here? And I know you got. You know, you talk about reading 10 books at one time, writing screenplays. What are you you doing with your time now? You know, basically, I'm I'm just trying to find ways to to fill my time. You know, I'm reading. I'm I'm trying to write a new project. I've got video games that I'm playing. Um, You know, it's it's definitely been a it's been a weird time. I mean, basically, I mean, you see it with all the commercials that are on TV right now, since nobody can shoot anything, everybody's just using stock and just making the same commercials over and over again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, made a few of those, but now, you know, basically just sitting around reading lots of books, all about film, reading an interview book with Harmony Corinne, uh, which is, (laughs) which is something else. you like Harmony Corinne. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just read a uh, I just read a book of interviews with Darius Kanji, the DP. Um, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and in the book, there's a lot of basically in the book he's got all these old Polaroids from from his entire life mm-hmm. since he started taking Polaroid photographs when he was like 14 years old. And yeah. he says in the book that's how he kind of trained trained his eye to be a DP. Essentially, you know, that's the best way to learn is to just frame a camera that way. So I bought myself a, a cheap Polaroid. Uh, Sun 660, and uh, I've been documenting the quarantine via Polaroid the entire uh, for the past month and a half, mm-hmm. um, which has been a fun. It's just like a fun little experiment. By the end of this, I'll be able to put together a giant weird collage of uh, <laughs> the quarantine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I just yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, just watching movies, reading books, taking pictures. I'm just trying to write, trying to write, doing research for projects, just trying to yeah. uh, stay safe, yeah. stay busy. What What is Austin, Texas like? I know you didn't, you know, South by Southwest was canceled. Uh, is it, I mean, people talk about it being so cool, but, you know, it's right now everybody's just inside. But before that, what was, what's Austin like? Austin's great. Austin's basically like a small, it, it's, a, it's a big city, but it's not if that makes sense it's like mm-hmm. there's like there's millions of people that live here but the central austin is pretty small area so it feels like a small town um and it's it's a lot of fun everybody likes to go out uh it's it's a very outdoorsy city there's a lot of arts uh there's a lot of music music a lot of movies those are the things that i'm drawn to about the city a lot of breweries things of mm-hmm. that nature so uh the food seems very good 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the hardest thing for everybody right now in Austin with this is just having just, you know, sitting inside. A lot of, I mean, it's, it, we, we basically just missed the entire spring where it's like really nice out here. I mean, it rains, but it's also yeah. otherwise pretty nice and temperate. And we're about to get into the summer, which is, you know, spells 100 degrees every single day. Yeah. So it's, uh, if, if we're all released down to the wild when it's 100 degrees every single day, I mean, everybody would be happy to go out, obviously. Things will be open yeah. up. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, it's still been nice. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very weird and interesting time, but you know, there's still pretty decent restaurants that we can order from and, um, you know, there's still wide open spaces you can go to. So yeah, ways to keep saying, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess I've been using the time too, to just kind of work on projects that, you know, when you're working full time, you just don't have the opportunity to really do it or you do it at a much smaller pace where now you could devote, you know, if you wanted to a whole week, if you had the time to just say, Hey, I'm just going to focus on this and get this project done. Uh, I can imagine there are ways to make it rewarding. Even though I know it's also a tough time for a lot of people. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that you're in the fantasy sports. Um, how much do you really play? Have you won a championship? In football, yes. baseball, basketball, what what sport are you best at with in, fantasy? In, in football, football is the only one that I play. Yeah, yeah, basically just because football is the easiest one to keep up with. Yeah, because <laughs> it's only what one weekend, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> only one weekend exactly. So you know you can pay attention. There's at most there's three there's three games in a week, so or you know four if they're playing on Saturdays too. So it's a lot easier to pay attention to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. This year I finished second. Uh, in the league that I play in, I usually just try to keep it to one league. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was uh, the uh, that that was I've gotten third. I've got third two, two of the last three years, and then this year I got second in the league. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then the last time I won the championship was like six years ago. Do you, um, is that as close that you get to like betting, putting money down on a team, or do you ever go out to Vegas and do that too? Oh no, I can't do that. But you know, once you know, when sports gambling is legal and you can do it on DraftKings Casino, yeah, I'll probably start getting a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey. Hey, <laughs> hey, so, put money on the Jets every year. If you, you never know, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, they're always gonna have horrible odds. So I put ten bucks on the Jets every single year. At some point, I'm bound to win something. Yeah, yeah. You know, give you something to look forward to with the season, or drive you crazier if they don't. You know, do do what you want to do. Uh, we both yeah. went to Pitt together. I want to end it on this. If you could reflect on your experience at Pitt, what it taught you um, to kind of be where you are today, and anything that you miss uh, about our time with Panther Sports Network and 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 just being at school. I mean, the main thing that I learned from Pitt was that you know I could have a career in video production i mean that was you know the biggest thing i remember when i went to school i didn't think that there was any way i'd be able to figure it out and granted i didn't necessarily think it was going to be an advertising advertising is just something that i kind of fell backwards into um but the big yeah the biggest thing i learned from Pitt was just the fact that you know i learned practical skills and how to make stuff and at the end of the day i was able to get into this and you know the knowledge that i learned about you know editing and filmmaking it's actually helped me transition in advertising a lot because when i'm sitting in an edit room with an editor or i'm sitting in a sound room or i'm sitting with my creative team or whatever mm-hmm. you know when i have 
creative opinions that they all listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm you know if I'm sitting there while an editor is working on something and I ask him to try something, very often he'll try it and he'll be like, oh yeah, that is better. Or, yeah. You know, always the same as the creative team. You know, if I have a suggestion, maybe we should try this. They'll listen to me at least give it a try. Um, I think that it gave me a knowledge base that I didn't necessarily. I don't think I would have had otherwise that I've been able to transition within my current career to be able to kind of lean on, you know, if it was all just kind of film theory and things of that nature and just like, you know, nerd knowledge about things like Harmony Corrine and what he was thinking when he made Gummo, I don't necessarily (laughs) think that uh, that'd be transitioning to my career too much besides me just badgering everyone to try to fit Harmony Corrine on a commercial. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I, I I think, uh, I think that's probably what, what, you know, that's, yeah. that's the thing I probably took away from all of it the most. Um, you know, and then just like going back to it, you know, just thinking about like, just thinking about, you know, the bleacher bumps and the TV shows and all that stuff. <laughs> that was so fun, man. Doing that stuff with Ken and Elias was so fun. You know, it getting was... shouted out by, you know, I'll never forget getting shouted out by Darrell Revis for being on bleacher bumps <laughs> in our dorm. Yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I'm talking I'm about, about I Dylan. I about that all the time. I got my favorite Jay who shouted me out about my, my, my TV show on the student TV channel <laughs> when I was a sophomore. In I can't, I can't complain about that. I think that's pretty cool. Good times. It was definitely yeah, was good great. times, Dylan. I always enjoy talking with you, even back in the day. And, I, you know, even this podcast was just awesome. You're so entertaining. And I always find your knowledge to be, it spans, you know, sports, <laughs> film, philosophy, like everything. You, you just have an opinion about everything. Um, and I always enjoy hearing from you. Very comical. Thank you, Dylan, for oh, being on the pod. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Jim. Okay, thanks for having me. It's great talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, you know, um, I cannot believe that I actually got to watch Michael Jordan play baseball, uh, the Greenville Braves versus the Birmingham Barons. And it's funny because I want to say I'll never forget it. For a moment, I did until this documentary came out. And it really made me think about how, you know, yeah, it's cool that now I get to watch LeBron play basketball and I've seen him play in person. But, you know, it just seems like such a special thing to be able to say that you got to watch Michael Jordan not only play basketball, but to see him play baseball, too, uh, is just it's just amazing. I mean, I remember the stories about how he bought you know, uh, a tricked out bus for the team. So I made sure to get to the stadium early to watch the team bus arrive and to see him get off the bus and the pomp and circumstance of all of the fans that showed up in this small town of Greenville, South Carolina. You know, uh, I, I didn't miss a beat after, you know, grabbing, you know, what was probably a hot dog and a soda. I sat in the stands and watched him warm up and, and saw him, you know, running out in the outfield before the game. And, you know, I don't even know if I appreciated it back then as much as I should have because I was watching Air Jordan, you know, soar through the air on a baseball field. But I do, when I look back on it, think that I must have understood the significance of it because I went. You know, I worked in Atlanta at the time. I worked at the baseball stadium uh, for the with the Braves, 
And to be able to, you know, see the Atlanta Braves play baseball, I still have a ball that David Justice gave to me. Uh, it's one of my favorite on my mantelpiece. And, and then to go up and see Michael Jordan play the Greenville Braves is just something I will never forget. Um, and as I look back at the pictures that I took that day, I'm just like, just wow, just in awe of, yeah, Jamoke, you, you did that. I mean, I, I don't know if I can help you visualize it anymore. Obviously, I know you're just listening to this podcast, but like, I swear, he it was like he was doing the Air Jordan move when he went to catch a baseball on the pop fly um, in the outfield. He just was so graceful. As graceful as he is on a basketball court, I saw that grace in the way he played baseball. And in many ways, as he shared in the documentary, that was like his first love was baseball. Then he played basketball. And you could see it. You could feel it in the atmosphere, the way he played, how into it he was, and how for his teammates, whether you like him or dislike him after seeing his documentary, or even back then if you liked him or disliked him, I didn't understood, understand why he quit. I just didn't understand it. Like, why did you give up? You were at the top of your game in basketball. But you know what? I can throw that out the window now because I never would have been able to see him play baseball. And that is something that a very small group of people can say that they witnessed. Michael Jordan playing baseball, swinging at a pitch, and running a grounder out to first base with the same speed and competitiveness and uh, persona that you could see when he played basketball, he seemed to be doing that in the same way when he played baseball. And I hope that for any of you that's listening and watching The Last Dance, that maybe you also have a memory that it, it, it um, is making you smile and making you remember that you got to see the greatest NBA basketball player ever of all time play basketball live and in person and then double that down and say, yeah, I also got to see him play baseball because that was unique in a much shorter amount of time in his life that you would have had that opportunity to see it. And if you did, you saw something special. Nobody's ever really done that before. Not like Michael. Yeah, you had Bo Jackson. Yeah, you had Deion Sanders. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting others. But they weren't Michael Jordan playing a second sport. That is something truly special that I will never, ever forget. And, and uh, man, it was just wow. I got to see Michael Jordan play baseball. And if you did too, I'd love for you to share your memory of seeing Jordan play baseball. You can hit me up at Jamoke Davis on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I just, man, I just want to see if anybody else was able to have the kind of memory and remember Jordan the way that I was able to in basketball and baseball. Such a special memory. All right, that's it. Thank you to Dylan Heimbrock for coming on the show, and thank you for listening. Be sure to share it and leave a review. You can catch past pods, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more. Ciao for now.